How did Gymshark win 2020? Consumer research. They worked with a test to learn more about their audience's changing habits, then pivoted their business to meet those needs. Visit askatest.com and use fast, accurate consumer research to get ahead. It's growth without guesswork. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. Today, we are super lucky to be speaking with Eli Weiss, the Director of Customer Experience at Olipop. Eli is a D2C Twitter darling. He's got one of the most unique, fresh voices in that amazing world of D2C Twitter. Uh, and he is obsessed with customer experience. And he's had a, a lot of really great experience working at some really other interesting D2C companies. Uh, Olipop is a deliciously fizzy tonic that combines the benefits of prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanicals to support your microbiome and benefit digestive health. We just completed a, uh, a five-week series where we dove deep on every aspect of Olipop's marketing. Uh, and so we got tight with uh, the founders there, uh, as well as Eli, the Director of Customer Experience. Welcome to the D2C Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. So good to be here. Nice. Uh, let's start with customer experience. I like, you know, you are a customer experience specialist. Uh, you worked at Nugs, which is one of the other, which is one of the most other interesting, like darling D2C brands that I really love. And I just love to talk a little bit about your, your professional journey and, and how it's evolved your sense of what customer experience is and what it isn't. Yeah, no, that's an awesome start. I, I started my career working at a bunch of really small startups, the, the largest that was like seven people smallest was myself and the CEO. And I was always a generalist and I, and I was doing pretty much everything from business development to marketing strategy, investor relations, all that other fun stuff. Um, but the first kind of real startup I joined was a Kickstarter brand that was selling luggage. And, and when I joined in 2016, they were two years delayed on their production of their product. So right off the bat, I jumped into to a hell of a nightmare in terms of experience and and my hypothesis back then without any real background in this was the reason why people hop into a Kickstarter campaign is essentially to feel like they're creating and building and nurturing this brand with the company. And by not feeling like they're getting all the information, the lack of transparency was the inherent reason why they were frustrated. So that was my hypothesis. I was not scarred by all the other you know, CX roles before that. I was a fresh face in it. And in 2016, we came in and, and we created this plan of like, let's just shoot it straight and tell them we've, we've been dishonest. Here's what's really going on. Here's what's been happening with the suitcase. Here's the amount of time we need to finish and, and rally them up to kind of help us. And, and it was remarkable as to, you know, the, these 1500 people that wanted us to, to, to die and give them all their money back, all of a sudden were pushing us for the success of the brand. Fast forward a year and a half later, we launched a version 2.0 based on the feedback from these customers and 90 something percent of people hopped back in. And for me, that was like, this is amazing that just listening to customers is just the most drastic way to build brand affinity. And at that point, it wasn't a thing, right? Like customer support was like the thing that Zappos did really well, but direct consumer brands weren't doing it. And what I saw back then was that 
on the SaaS side of things, um, in the 90s, there was this role created called customer success, which essentially was making sure that people are happy and kind of staying in touch with them to upsell. But what, what they realized back then was like, that's essentially how you make sure people are happy by optimizing to reach out while they're still in a good place before everything hits the fan. And that, that was my 2016 hypothesis that CX will be the next big thing because as marketing costs go up, that's the best way to keep people happy and, and make sure that they repurchase. And I got really lucky that, um, you know, in, in the middle of 2020, I, I got in touch with the Nugs team and had a fantastic experience building building CX over there and, and kind of got in touch with Olipop and they shared a similar vision to what I had for CX. So it's been it's been crazy ever since, but that's kind of my my journey over the last five years. Very cool. Now, how you say talking to customers, this sounds, I'm, my, I'm trying to think of all the technological implementations we could use to talk to customers, but we're at, you're actually just talking about picking up the phone or jumping into DMs and actually just chatting with people one-on-one. -on -one. Can you talk a little bit about how you, you know, your favorite methods for collecting this customer feedback? Yeah, I think I think if you, if we were to zoom out, there's there's obviously the the quantitative data where, you know, if you work with Gorgeous or, or Zendesk or whatever that tool is, getting that data that 99% of brands get, they tag, they do all that work, but then what happens with it? Like that data essentially usually just goes into the garbage or, or it gets sent every month. When, when I talk about customer experience, my vision is like when you're in a small team, that data should be going to the correct places as it comes in. So aside from the once a week that I'll create a, a little deck to share out with the team on like what's happening, what's, what's going on. There's also somebody from my team that's in every single meeting cross-function, whether it's marketing or supply chain or our 3PL, et cetera, et cetera. We are constantly the voice of the customer in all these meetings, really relaying information we're hearing on the quantitative side. And then on qualitative, it's like, you know, we, we, we send out these surveys, like brands always send out surveys, like, oh, what does a customer think? Those are not the moments where customers share everything they're frustrated about. It's when they're just having a good time on Saturday, tagging you in a post on Instagram. And then when you reach out and you say, wow, where did you buy this? And they say, oh, I picked it up at a Kroger. How was the experience? Or, oh, I just ordered it online. And then by just having these really, really non-formal conversations, instead of creating a focus group that costs 10 grand with 100 people that won't talk to you unless you give them a gift card with us, it's like finding people where they're at. They're, 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 they're willing to chat. They're willing to talk. And, and just having these conversations for us has been the best, you know, kind of qualitative data. That's awesome. Do you think do you think brands are too quick? Uh, you know, I come from I come from from the world of affiliate marketing. So people that had almost no attention to product, it was all about the marketing, all about scaling with the Facebook and you know hitting hitting these big numbers. And then I think a lot of these people who who kind of came from this mindset were very quick to outsource their customer experience to a technological platform that that could kind of help them do it, help them you know set it and forget it, so they could focus on the parts of the business that they were most interested in. But would you say, you know, to succeed in 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 this brand world, you've got to almost start with bringing customer experience more in-house do you think that's a mistake people make i i think it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting point that i think about a lot because because i have i have seen brands that you know obsess over customer experience and, and outsource it as an easy way to scale up or scale down when it comes into a seasonal situation but i, I do think that there's a common misconception that customer experience or you know brands like to call it whatever they want to call it but but this this support experience, whatever it may be, is a way to put out fires. And I think that way of thinking about it is inherently wrong. Because when you think about it as a way to put out fires, it's obviously nothing you want to invest in versus, versus if you think about it as a way to, to, to actually leverage it as a marketing channel, 
that to me is all of a sudden a very simple way to invest in it. And, and a couple of stories come to mind over the last couple of months at Olipop um, as, as to how we, we leverage CX as a marketing channel. I, I mean, aside from, we've done some really fun surprise and delight initiatives where we've sent like 65 customers plants um, at, just to their door. You order soda twice. You don't, you don't expect to get a plant at your door with a, with a nice card, but we've also seen, you know, a, a story that that really, really, really touched me a couple of months ago was, you know, we had a, a customer that reached out to cancel their subscription and, and they they shot us a message, a message on Instagram and it was like, we'd like to cancel the subscription. And we always say, you know, it's canceled. And then we say, by the way, are there any, is there any feedback? And the feedback we got was, you know, that, that she, it was actually a subscription for her mom who was in hospice care and, and used to have an Olipop every day. Um, towards the end of her life, it was something that was healthy and easy and a, and a healthy way for her to indulge and, and feel that nostalgia and, and her, that, and the fact that her mom passed away. And, and for us, it was, it was, it was so, it was so shocking, A, and, and, and humbling B to see that you can have an impact on somebody like that. But the flip side is it's what happens next. So, so for us, you know, right off the bat, we're like, how do we be really human about this? You know, instead of saying thank you, what, what can we put our money where our mouth is? And we sent a gorgeous bouquet of flowers, and and that customer has been like part of our family ever since. But but I think it's the next part. It's like you can say you love customer experience, you can say you're a customer centric brand, but do you put the, your money where your mouth is? And and that's everything from like a, a a moment like that where it touches you and you do what a human would do, and and then it's also in a in a proactive way where something you know there's a problem and an order doesn't get there. It's like, what do you do next? Do you tell the customer you're really sorry or do you actually try to make a move towards it? And, and for us, that's been like, as a leader, it's so humbling for me to hire people that, that take the lead ahead of me um, with these situations where, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had somebody who ordered for a wedding and it, we had a couple of mishaps and it, it took three tries to get the perfect amount of, of Olipop the perfect flavors and we ended up you know reshipping it and got it there but then someone one of my teammates just was chatting with this customer and said you've ordered olipop for your wedding it's clear you have really good taste would you mind sharing your wedding registry and we ended up getting that registry and we ordered a really kind gift and it's like it's it's just how you think about it and being able to put money behind it and actually don't just talk customer centric but but be a person and be a human and do what you what you'd like others to do for you and and that's been like a crazy journey for us. I love it. It's, it really reminds me of, of course, Tony Shea. I remember when I was first coming up in this industry from Zappos, all these stories of Tony Shea and being becoming like a call center for people. They'd call in and they'd find they'd find out where their you know nearest pizza joint was or whatever. Once they had them on the phone, it was just all about uh, building relationships. Uh, do and uh, what I keep hearing too is things that don't do things that don't scale. Do things that that you that that you do because you feel that human connection. You act act as though a human would act, which I think is a really really good point. And this is something else that you mentioned about like when you're communicating with people. Uh, you know, I think the temptation is for your your frontline people to be, you know, speaking about your company as a we, you know, we are doing this, we're but but I, I you know, it, it sounds like the importance of, of using I is, is, is key there just for making those real human relationships. Yeah, I think, I think that that's an interesting point you bring up, um, where if you interact with any brand, and, and I've, I'm, I'm a pretty substantial D2C customer. And, and I constantly reach out to brands because I'm, I'm curious and don't get it twisted. It's not going to be from my email address, <laughs> but 
Um, I, I do reach out to brands to try to get an idea of, of how they of how they engage. And 99% of the time, it feels like a canned response. It feels like a response that they just click two buttons. And it's always, you know, number one, they view apology as weakness, right? So they, they will say, oh, it looks like UPS lost it. I'll reship it. Instead of saying, we are so sorry that there was an issue with the delivery because they're worried that if they if they over apologize and people are going to say oh it's your fault not UPS so that's number one number two is it's always we we are so sorry for this we are so sorry for that versus and, and we've tested this at Olipop multiple times is like the second you shift it to like I am so sorry I sincerely apologize I know what it's like to order something you're so excited about and it takes three days more the response shifts from oh, screw this company. They're the worst. They don't care to like, wow, I didn't expect that. And that's honestly been like the largest shift for us. It, you know, on our customer effort score, we've, we've stayed in the 90s since we started. And, and this is through quarter four, where everyone was dealing with the same chaos around USPS and FedEx and UPS is like, instead of shifting that blame, we double down on like, we know how difficult it is with this season of just packages going all over the place. Seems like FedEx took this on a joy ride and, and just making light of it, but also like here we're reshipping it. And in the, in the midst of all the chaos of all the other brands saying like, Oh, wait a month while your product goes through Guam, Chicago, back to New York, we've reshipped it twice. And th those couple of dollars there is what, you know, these customers that came for the first time in quarter four have ordered seven times since then. What was the score you mentioned there? The 90%? So yeah, so our customer effort score is, is essentially like, you know, at when you ask customers, you'll say like, it was super easy to get your issue resolved today, strongly agree, strongly, you know, disagree and whatever else is the middle of there. But essentially 90 something percent of customers that reach out to us feel like it's, it's they strongly agree that it's super easy to get their issue resolved. And, and from the, from the uh, psychology behind it, it's, it's one of the stronger metrics in, in terms of making sure that people have a good experience because it's, it's essentially figuring out how seamless the experience is when everything hits the fan. So that's kind of the metric that we, we strongly, aside from MPS on the product side of things, on the experience we're leveraging CES. Nice. Uh what do you view, you know, you meant you touched on something earlier about, you know, the costs of customer acquisition are continuing to go up. We've got iOS 14.5 rolling out that's making us think, okay, our, our audiences won't be as robust as they were this, this, you know, what do you view as like the most important things that happen sort of, let's say after purchase in order to make sure that person comes back? Yeah. Um, I, I think this is a fantastic question and something that that just about every brand, especially in D2C, is struggling with. And and uh, I mean, obviously, it's becoming harder and harder um, to reach customers and to reach the right people when you're when you're looking at acquisition through Facebook. And and I think that the interesting thing for us is that retention as a whole has always been like, how do we pay to win people back once they leave, versus how do we make sure that people are happy when they're here so that they stick around and we don't have to repurchase them again? And I, I think that as a, as a general rule, we often look at experience and we say, is the product good? And what we fail to understand is that's not the only reason why customers repurchase. Customers look at your website experience, your expectation versus what they receive. They look at your shipping and delivery. They look at your time to respond to their email about whatever it is that they thought of asking while it's coming. And, and, and that's honestly, that's the one pillar is like, 
make sure your entire experience is tight enough that people enjoy every single part of it and come back. And then the flip of that is, is people often think that, you know, if the product is not somebody's favorite, then they'll never come back. And it's, and it's a nightmare. And with us, we, we honestly view it as like, if somebody doesn't like the product, but they love everything else about your experience and they tell you they don't like the product and you give them a full refund, when their friend says, Hey, have you heard of Olipop? They'll say, Oh yeah, I actually don't love the, the, the actual drink, but maybe it wasn't my taste, but the experience was off the charts. So if you like a healthier alternative to soda, or if you like the flavors of your childhood, but want something that's a little, a little healthier, this is your thing. And we've seen that people that didn't like our product have brought people back into the fold. So that that's really the game is like, how do you create brand moments across from the people that absolutely adore you to the people that may have not had the best experience? How do you create moments that really, really pull more people in? And I think as marketers, we often struggle with things we can't measure, right? And it's like, if you can't measure it, is it happening? And something that we see is like, you know, the, the little bit of the first week I was here, I, I saw how much we're spending on Facebook ads. And I was like, wow, give me a tiny bit of that. Let's see what I can do on on sending this stuff to like, you know, some of our biggest brand, you know, some of our biggest brand loyalists and, and the amount of buzz we got on, on Instagram um, was pretty wild. And I said, you know, yeah, we can't necessarily measure the exact amount of people that somebody brought in, but we could know that as a human being, if you got a gorgeous plant from a brand you spent $50 at, you gotta be crazy not to tell 10 people. You know, like, and that's our vision on like, how do we continuously double down, create moments that cause people to say like, wow, this brand really cares. Convert more traffic you're already paying for with Persosa. Discover how brands like WAG, Cumulus Networks, and Spiritual Gangster increase conversions over 50% in less than two weeks. Learn more at persosa.com. Love it. And these are like, those are moments above and beyond that you're creating, but, but all of the touch points that you have to have with your consumer from, uh, you know, confirmation emails to, to unboxing, you know, all of these things, they're touch points that you have to have as an e-commerce shipper. So you might as well be thinking about how can I create delight in these experiences? I think the, uh, yeah. And I, I think you bring up a very good point on, on, and this is funny. It's something I, I chatted with David, who's our, who's our co-founder. I chatted with him about it on my interview, you know, something that brands don't often think about enough is the the time from the click order until you actually receive the order. And, and I think that's the most underutilized time and brand experience. And, and the vision I, I see is a, a customer finds this gorgeous ad on Facebook. In our case, it's that beautiful pour shot on the ice and the, and the gorgeous colors and, and just the beautiful, the beautiful imagery. And it says, you know, nine grams of fiber, only two to five grams of sugar. And you're like, holy moly, this is amazing. You, you click on that ad, you get to the site, you, you place that order. And then for so many brands, it's just radio silence for 10 days. And there's the confirmation number that's like straight out of the box um, with, with no real anything to it. And then there's a shipping order and then you have a FedEx delay. And then by the time you get it, it's like that magic has already long disappeared. So that's like, it, you know, in, in retail, you think about experiences like it's a nice can, it's on the shelf, you pick it up, you, you crack it open, you drink it all within five minutes, you make that impulse decision, you purchase the product, you taste it outside and you love it. With D2C, it's just, you know, especially when you think about the, the more luxurious products, it's like by the time you get it, the, the hype and the magic is so often over. So how do you keep people tied in? And I think it's, 
it's everything from from really 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 good website experience to really really good shipping and delivery to getting in touch if something goes wrong to providing a really good welcome flow so it's all about that you know perfect perfect amount of not being really annoying <laughs> but also keeping people in the loop and keeping people excited and engaged because when people make these D2C decisions online, there, you know, there's a lot of psychology going on there. With a drink like yours, it could be like, okay, I'm going to shift from pop. I'm going to make a change in my life. Or, or maybe it's just like, I just love orange creamsicles or I love their branding. I love their imagery. But there's that moment, there's real hype in that moment where, where you're clicking that button, you're making that purchase. And it, everything that you can do, yeah, not to lose that hype uh, by the time. Because sometimes you, you end up two weeks later, something will come and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I ordered that. That's great. But if you can kind of maintain that, the moment in people's minds that they've made this decision, they're anticipating when this product becomes part of their lives, uh, you're going to win. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Can you talk a little bit about your customer experience stack? You know, I know you do a lot in-house, but just technologically, uh, what, what are you using to, to maintain these great experiences? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. We, we are actually super light on, on tools and more believe that the operator of the tool matters more than the tool. Um, we, so we, we, as far as like hiring, we are like super, super high on the, on the empathy and going with the gut and putting people that, you know, hiring people that genuinely care about experience and empower them to execute. And then on the on the actual technology, um, we use Gorgeous for for customer support, and we use Recharge for subscription. We obviously use Postscript uh, for SMS, and and we've we've recently uh, started using a tool called Source Medium um, for data analysis. That's that's actually a brilliant um, one of the one of the tools I'm really excited about now. It's just it's just a one stop shop to be able to pull any any sort of data across Shopify, um, across Recharge, any analysis, cohort analysis, LTV, all the fun stuff that people like me generally aren't the data people, but being able to do that has been has been interesting. Cool. I'll make sure to check that one out. Uh, I've been following you on Twitter for a while, and I, I think you know if anyone who's listening to this is not on D 2 C Twitter, it's one of the uh, it's one of the better communities that's out there. It's one of the best professional communities for D 2 C that I've seen anywhere. Out, uh, you know, it's it's sure beats LinkedIn or Facebook or any of those places. Um, and I'm recently following this a post that you made in March about your subscription program, basically that you doubled your number of subscribers in the last hundred days. Um, just to, let's talk about the subscription platform. Like, first of all, are you able to say like, you know, how, you know, for your e-commerce business, which I know has grown a huge amount in the last little while, um, you know, how many of those people are buying subscriptions? How many of those people are buying one-offs? And then what are you doing to, to, to transfer those people into, into the subscription tier? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. So we, we, I cannot share exactly the percentage, but I, I could say that when we started, we had a very, very, very small group of people buying subscription. And I think that most brands, you, you, when I think about a subscription, I think about, A, is this a product that should be subscribed to? And, and that's not a question for the brand. That's a question for the consumer. Does, does a consumer want to subscribe to it? And, and the first component of that is, is this product replenishable? And then the second component is, our customers already buying monthly or, or bi-weekly or whatever it is. And then the question becomes is like, if they really want it, they're buying it anyway. Then how do we, you know, something I heard, uh, I was talking to Val Geisler from Clavio uh, yesterday and, and she mentioned, you know, 
subscriptions are very good for the brand because you know there's the monthly recurring revenue, but they've never been great for customers. And I, I think that that's like that that made me really think about the subscriptions from from yesteryear, like the the old school subscriptions where you know it's 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 a nightmare to get out. You have to call between nine and three, you know, nine a.m. to three p.m. You got to wait on hold for an hour to talk to somebody that should be selling used cars, but is actually a salesperson that's supposed to be helping you cancel, but is selling you on a discount. And it's like that's that's the first thing. It's like how do you remove any sort of friction from this experience to be able to elevate an experience of the person that wants to be super close to your brand. And I think for us, it was like, we sat down right, right when I joined in June of last year, we sat down and we were like, what, what is, what is the dream subscription? Like, what does that entail? And for, for us, like I thought about friction first. So the number one thing I think about is we hate that it's difficult to leave. Right. And the number two thing was like, we want to have a subscription that people don't get really stagnant where they're like, oh, here's the same thing again, having it every three weeks, like give them the ability to try new things so they don't get bored of it. And the third thing was like, if somebody's subscribing, what's in it for them? Because it gets very expensive to have this product that often. Um, and that was kind of our first foray at experience was breaking down those walls. So for, for people having a difficult time swapping, we, we launched, I think we were one of the first brands that launched with Electric SMS, which is now Recharge SMS, which essentially you know, emails have always been sent to your inbox to tell you about your subscription upcoming in three days, but you get so much spam that you often miss that. So this is a text on your phone. It says, we're packing your orange cream. It should be out in three days. Would you like to swap, skip, cancel? And you just reply with the word. So you reply with cancel. Are you sure you'd like to cancel? Say yes. And you say yes, and you're out and that's it. And if you want to move it, you say, move or skip and it'll get you your next order. So all these modifications, be able to do it through text. You don't have to reach out to anyone. You don't have to talk to anyone. You can also obviously do it online. You can send us an email, but if you'd like to, it's super easy. And then the other thing was like, it's our steepest discount with free shipping always. And then the third thing was we, we optimize for people to switch because for us, it's like, if you can find your forever flavor in the first couple of weeks, you'll be here for a while. So we've seen 70 something percent of our customers that have been here for a couple of months, months have swapped, skipped at least once. So that's kind of like our, our first foray. And then the one thing I'd finally say is that most brands that I've spoken to in the subscription space will tell me, we offer these perks for our subscribers and they love it. And then you say, but how do you know they love it? Well, they, they are part of the Facebook group. And you're like, okay, but did you ask them? And the answer is usually, well, I don't know. So for us, it's like, we have done surveys. We ask on a quantitative and qualitative basis as like, what do you want to see from a subscription program? And obviously, usually, you know, you'll have a lot of people I want a discount and that's fair. But then, you know, for us, we had a bunch of people that said, we love those stickers that you once made. So now every subscriber gets a sticker with every order. And for us, that I would have never guessed that that's the one thing that people go crazy for, but now that's like a huge thing for us. So continue, continually ask people instead of deciding for them. And I say that's like the, the large success of our, of our subscription order. But the, the, we, to answer the last question, we don't do what a lot of other brands do, which is like automatically set it to subscription when you hop on the site, because we find that that's, that's optimizing for short-term wins versus people stick around for a long time. Um, so you have to consciously go click that button, confirm you want it. And, and that's our vision across the line is we want people to want to have that close relationship with our brand. And, and that's the decision they make, not a decision we make for them.
That's interesting. Even just that idea, and you were saying you're one of the first to, to market with with Recharge doing this, where you're giving them, you're proactive. Like I've heard a lot of people like proactive to when they're about to renew a subscription to say, hey, you know, we're packing this. Just just want to make sure you know it's coming. You, you know, maybe here's a discount for a future down, the, you know, for your next month or something like that. But the fact that you're giving them that opportunity to, to cancel and 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 you know front and center, do you find like do, do people do that? Like I know you're in it for the long term, so swapping and and um you know maybe moving. Or, or other options are, are maybe what you're you're angling for. But do you, did your cancellations go up initially when you gave people that option to cancel sort of front and center? So I'd say that the, the cancellations went up, but the resubscribes went up as well. So, yeah. so many of these people that you give them, a, a, people that want to cancel a subscription, if they sign up for the first place, it's because they really like your product. So now putting up that gate really high is not going to make them stay longer. Giving them the flexibility to come and go as they wish is like, we don't mind if people cancel their subscription because if they want to come back and get and get that same relationship slash extra perks and benefits slash early access to new flavors slash discount, they'll come back in a month. And that doesn't, I, I'm not here for the metrics. I'm here for, for those relationships. So for somebody to cancel and then come back in two months is also okay with us. Um, but I think that people feeling that flexibility, it, you know, I'd say cancellation slightly went up. I'd say long-term, our subscription numbers went up 10x that. And I'd say our resubscribes went up as well. So, so creating that really, really flexible subscription is the future of subscription for sure. I love it. And then what does what does your top of funnel look like for subscribers? It sounds like you're not um, you know, trying to shunt users into subscriptions right away when they come on the site. Is it a matter of, is, does it usually just come from people that make a first purchase and then through email or SMS, they're enticed to say, hey, do you want to make this official? Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, on, on the email side of things, if you order twice after your second order, we'll say like, we like where this is going. Like, let's make this official. And then you'll have a couple of a couple of reasons, you know, a couple of a couple of reasons why a subscription might be the right choice for you. Um, and then on the tech side of things, it's if somebody orders more than three times, they'll get a text from us with a short description of what's going on on our subscription side of things. Um, and then I'd say we also do run Facebook ads at repeat purchasers. Um, pretty much, again, just explaining the benefits and, and then and then finally we have a subscription page on our site that kind of really really lays out that benefit so I, i'd say what we've seen a lot of brands in the space do is take a product page fully optimize it towards subscription so that you can hardly understand there is a single purchase way to order you'll go through that so you'll go through that page it'll be it'll be auto selected on subscription and it's kind of like a needle in a haystack to find that one time order and then another thing I've seen brands do where they'll say like, we only accept a six month subscription because our product should only be used for six months where it's like, that's like the SaaS model where like, if you don't sign up for a year, you're not going to see results. And it's like, you know, on, on a beverage, that's for a customer to decide. <laughs> so that's kind of our, our vision broadly is put it front and center, create, create the benefits that are strong enough for people to fall in love with it, but it's an option. It's not a requirement. Nice. Can we talk a little bit about your e-commerce growth in general at Olipop? I know um, the company is not super old and I know it was previous to this year, um, largely uh, retail focused yeah. and, and that uh, talk a little bit about the explosion of, uh, of e-commerce. Yeah. yeah. So um, when I joined in June, 
which is almost a year ago, which is wild. Um, we were about 95% retail. Um, I'd say at the beginning, at the beginning of last year, we were about 500 stores. We started this year close to five and a half thousand stores and, and retail when, when I joined retail was about 95%. We're slowly reaching, you know, D to C was 5%. We're slowly reaching D to C more like 35, 40%. So D to C has, has skyrocketed. Um, we, we, on, on the e-commerce side of things, we're up 4X in, in 2021 and, and again, close to 35, 40% of, of revenue. Um, I think there's a couple of things like our, obviously COVID has been interesting for D2C brands, just people, you know, not going out to shop and ordering it to their home. But I think the, the, the more interesting thing for us is, you know, as we scale as a team, most brands that I was employee number 18, most brands, their 18th employee is not their director of CX. So Olipop has taken a very, very, very strong and deep approach on, on customer experience and creating those moments. Most people, most brands have retention sitting under the marketing team. I'm leading on retention on the CX team. Most, most brands have SMS marketing on the marketing team. I'm leading on SMS marketing. So there are a lot of things that we've taken a very, very customer centric approach. Um, and then I, I think that's been super impactful for, for our D2C, our, our D2C push. Um, I will say that it, it's been, it's been a wild ride. I think that as, as a brand, you know, like that's mostly retail. We've, we've learned really, really quickly, but, um, it's been, it's been a phenomenal experience being, being, being there throughout, throughout that growth. And I think it, it honestly says a lot to, to the brand. I think David and, and Ben, who are our, our co-founders have been very, very, very forward on, on allowing people to move fast and, and, make mistakes as long as they learn from it and continue continue to grow and and we're we're now a pretty big d2c a pretty big d2c brand so it's been it's been phenomenal amazing um yeah i'm just looking at your ads here uh I, not diet soda better soda i think that the soda space is such an interesting one i was just reading about coca-cola they're going through some real internal strife right now their sales have have you know dropped off for a long time. And whether you're, you're, you're drinking a Coke or a diet Coke at this point, pe- some people are going to look at you funny because either you're, you're consuming too much sugar or you're too much aspartame or something like that. So this is a preface to ask you, I'm, I'm curious, who do you think of as your major competitors in this space? Are you thinking about t- big soda? Are you thinking more about, you know, the, the brands that, for instance, we pitted you against in our, in our uh, deep dive? A hundred percent big soda. Um, we, we view Coke, Pepsi, as as the ones we're going up against, um, we are we are moving ridiculously fast, both in speed and 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 agility. I think companies at our stage have the the beauty of being able to to quickly iterate, and I think we also have the ability to really really leverage customer insights, um, so that when we make moves, we're we're making moves based on what our customers are asking for. Um, and, and we honestly think that the future of, of soda is not, you know, 38 or 39 grams of sugar and phosphoric acid or a bunch of aspartame. The, the future of soda is something that you drink that brings you back to your childhood nostalgic connection, um, but also has something to it, a new soda, soda 2.0, something that has extra benefits that actually support your digestive health and and things that are healthy for your microbiome, we, we think that that's the future. And as we continue to scale, um, 
and move into new markets, we've we've seen a, a pretty astounding uh, reception. Both, you know, we started as an LA brand and we launched into into markets like the Krogers of the world and the King Supers in, in Middle America and in in the Southwest, Southeast. And it's been it's been pretty astounding to see, you know soda drinkers, whether or not they continue to drink a couple of cans a week of soda, they're also drinking Olipop or wh whether they drop soda and take Olipop. We've been pretty, pretty amazed at, at the reception so far. Like the story of soda marketing in, you know, America and the US is, is, is it's like the story of marketing in a lot of ways. Uh, just, yeah. it's, it's just absolutely crazy. Like even just thinking about the fact that my corner store two blocks down the way has a Coca-Cola sign above it, you know, and I know I actually watched a documentary one time about Coca-Cola in South America, which is a actually pretty gruesome tale of, of, of how much, um, you know, for lack of a better word, fuckery they were up to down there in order yep. to, to dominate and to make sure that every single shop had a Coca-Cola sign on it or whatever. So what I'm always interested in, in meeting all these amazing D2C brands and, and founders and, and marketers that, that I get to meet is they're, they're building companies that are kind of like in a way replacing these behemoths and, and in, in, and in so many ways, they're doing it in ways that are seem better, better for the consumer, better for the planet. And, and I'm really, I, I feel positive about, you know, the kinds of D2C companies that, that are in this space and their ultimate impacts on making the world even just a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's awesome. I think that's something we, there, there are some things that Big Soda deeply understood very well, which is the the nostalgia and the connection and the family and the and the moments and the time that you really you know want to enjoy an ice cold an ice cold soda and and that's something we're we're definitely diving into as well. You know the, the flavors we choose, um, the the advertising we do is is really really leveraging connection and 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 family and nostalgia and, and all the fun stuff people people had in their childhood. So I love it. Nice. Okay. Time for our, our stock canned question, which is uh, if we were to give you a 50K D2C grant uh, in within your department right now, within customer experience, where would you put that to see the biggest return? Oh gosh. Um, this is actually an easy one. I, I would quadruple down on, on the moments we're creating. I, I think that these, you think about organic traction, you think about a brand, you know, like the, so many D2C brands, the second they, they shut off their Facebook ads, they're, they're, they're dead on arrival. And, and, and you th they're always optimizing for organic traction. I think the only way you can effectively quote unquote, elevate organic traction is by creating moments and creating customer moments and creating an environment where people don't have to get paid by your brand to talk about your brand. And on the, on the, even on the Instagram side of things, I mean, we see a couple hundred people tagging us a day with, you know, on, on Olipop and 99% of these people do not have official brand partnerships with us. So, so that's been like the moments that we create is something that I would a thousand percent double down on and, and just keep creating brand moments. And by that, that's things like buying your repeat purchasers, a, uh, a plant or something like that. That's what you mean by moments, like specifically those things that are sometimes difficult to scale, but create these amazing connections. Yes. Yes. I think, I think that whether it's something that costs $65 or $27, I think people opening up a box and they ordered soda, but they got two more things on the side is, is just something that really, really people don't expect from a brand. Um, and, and those, and those things just make people fall in love with the brand. I, I don't think it's necessarily 
scalable to a massive, massive number. But I think that's the beauty of it is customers can can tell when you're doing something that's not scalable and it means it means 10 times more. Like when you get that handwritten card from any company ever, that the moment that that makes for you, it's because you know that they couldn't order 10,000 of those. And that's the beauty of, of non-scalable moments. I love it. Pepsi's not reaching out to me anytime soon to ask how my, how my, <laughs> my gut biome is or anything like that. It's it's the beauty of D2C as well, right? Is it just creates yep. these touch points and gives you that opportunity to build these relationships in ways that the big companies will just never be able to match. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Okay. So if people want to try Olipop, first of all, as a, you know, got to get our affiliate link pumping, go to drinkolipop.com uh, and, and make sure you try out. Uh, what's What's your favorite flavor, by the way? I'm, I'm an orange person. So I've, at the moment we have our, our limited edition summer exclusive that's online and in whole foods, which is our orange cream, which kind of tastes like an, like an orange creamsicle, like the ice cream you had growing up. But, um, if that's no longer available, or if you don't see that in a store near you, I'm obsessed with the orange cream. Um, I think that's the most refreshing and delicious beverage. Uh, so give that one a go, but we always say if you, Think about those flavors, look at them. The one you think you love most is generally the one. If you're a root beer person, you love our root beer. If you're a cola person, go grab that. If you're a fruity person, grab grab a strawberry vanilla and, and give it a go. Nice. How do they stand up to mix? I'm just curious because I, I, I enjoy I enjoy a Cuba Libre or a, uh, a bourbon and Coke occasionally. I, I'd say they mix phenomenally. Um, my favorite mix is honestly the ginger lemon. It, it makes a wicked Moscow mule. Yeah. Um, just, just pour that in with a little bit of, a little bit of rum, a little bit of gin, whatever you <laughs> choose your, choose your, choose your, uh, choose your fighter. But, um, I think that's phenomenal. Uh, a, a vintage cola with a little bit of, a little bit of fun stuff never hurt. So love it. And <laughs> if people want to follow you, I would imagine you're going to direct them to your Twitter, which is at Eli Weiss with an extra S three S's correct. What's the extra S for? Just me not being able to find the account I wanted. <laughs> okay, very cool. Nice. Okay, thanks for coming on today, Eli. Uh, I really appreciate it. We'll get this it's out in a few a weeks. Yeah, anytime, man. We'll have to have you back. And we'd love to have you on as a uh, uh, to write a, a blog post for us on, on customer experience. So I think you've probably got a lot to share with our audience. Oh, I'd love that. Okay, awesome. Cheers. Have a great day.